I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What up, everybody? Happy Friday. We really wanted to sing some Rebecca Black, but none of us had the chance to do it on live on air, so we're going to skip straight past that and pretend it didn't happen. I forgot that name, though. Yeah, every time I say Happy Friday, all I want to do is burst into that song, but it was like <laughs> such a universally terrible song that I don't feel like I should do it. Yeah, it's probably for the better of the listeners, you know? Yeah, and I want some the better of us having on. consistent listeners after we actually sing that song. Right, right. I don't think that's <laughs> a good call at all. Yeah, this is Throwback Thursday to Rebecca Friday, but it'll be released on or Rebecca, Rebecca Friday. Might as well be. <laughs> Rebecca Black. Yeah, Rebecca Black Friday. Oh, yeah, Black Friday's coming up as well, right? Thanksgiving's right around the corner. It is, yeah, usually. Do you guys have anything like that go on? I mean, we never used to, but over the last few years, apparently, it's just kind of became a thing. People wanted sales. Yeah, I mean, we get the Amazon Day as well, and then we get Amazon Black Friday sales. Uh, everywhere Cyber else, Monday. Cyber Monday. Everywhere else in the country is on lockdown, so Amazon's going to make an absolute killing over mm. Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Which You're back on lockdown too? Yeah, dude, from today. Today's day one of lockdown 2.0 in the land of England. Fun. Yeah, so... Um, fun time. I- I'm not feeling too good about it. I'll, I'll be truthful. I kind of want to be able to get on a plane and leave. But, you know, that'll come, that'll come. Anyway... Guys, today we're going to be driving ourselves through a nice little bit of draft talk, starting with bigs, ending with bigs, discussing every big that's a possible pickup for the Celtics at 14, 26. Are we going as far as 30? Yeah, we are with with the guys we're talking about. Um, Yeah, I, I think we are. I mean, after you reach like the top 12 guys, like, you know, some of them could be considered at 14 and weirdly like, I think also could be considered at the beginning of the second round. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to go as far as the second round pick though, because that's just right. too much. We want to let you guys enjoy some of your Friday instead of listening to us for like two thirds of the entire day. Right. And I think we're also doing a, a little bit of the topic in case there's a potential trade up. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're very good at staying on point in terms of, we like to be current with the rumor mill. We like to try and stay current, but factual. Let's not lean too far into them rumors, but let's make sure you guys know what we're on about at the same time. I see Brendan picking up a notebook, which means he's got some notes weighing. I have all these uh, previous year's trades that I laid out to kind of look like what it takes to move up to different spots, you know? And for example, like 2017, Portland took like 15 and 20 to move up five spots to number 10. Um, In 2016, Phoenix traded 13, 28, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, which was, I believe, the 26th, 7th, 8th, one of those two years prior um, and stayed overseas. So traded pretty much three draft picks, 13, 28, and then a previous stashed one to move up five spots to number eight. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, the Celtics probably with the package they're offering of 14, 26, and 30, assuming they're offering all of them, like you maybe move up five spots, you know, about that range. My question that I've been kind of putting out there to people when they're discussing this is, is giving up three bites of an apple for one bite of an apple in the same draft enough? Like I'd much rather try and move out of the draft completely at that point and go to next year. That's apparently, you know, but by all means is a stack draft next year. So if you were going to package, then why not just move out? That seems more logical to me. Yeah, I'm with you. I And it's interesting that like, I think there's a reason we haven't heard that talk from any teams, really. I think most teams are kind of wanting to hold on to the pick that they have next year because it is stacked. But my understanding is like, it's more stacked at the top. Like this year, obviously there is some concerns or uncertainties. There's no surefire guys at the top, but you know, next year there could be eight guys in the next class that would go first this year. But the shooting, which is what really makes depth in in a draft class from my new understanding, is very deep in this class. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you that, like, you know, I I think there's a chance, for example, that, like, 
pick 14 ends up being a better player than pick nine. You know, I, I think that's a really good chance. So I'm kind of with you, but I think the deal with the Celtics is like, they just can't simply can't roster that many players, right. Or get them the minutes for, to properly develop. I mean, technically they can roster the guys if they start cutting a bit of the dead wood and look to move a few guys out as well, you know, try and package a second round pick and move somebody on. But yeah, I don't think, especially in terms of what's conducive to winning, I don't think packaging, sorry, in terms of what's conducive to winning, I don't think running with another three rookies off the bench along with what they already have is going to be the smartest option. Yeah, it's probably not. And, you know, I think there will be some okay NBA ready guys or that you could get it 14, 26, 30, or you, if you move up, you're looking to get what is likely more of a long-term player with, you know, potentially some, some all-star upside. Cause I think those, there are those type of players in this draft, but there's just not like any sure bets. Yeah. I mean, if they move up, my mind's been kind of set on if they move up, it's to try and snag either Halliburton or if they feel, for me personally, if they feel Kira Lewis is going to be taken higher than what he's projected at at the moment, maybe they move up for him. I don't feel like moving up five spots is enough to snag a Kongwu. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think that actually it might be, because when I look at it, I just think there's no way that a Kongwu goes past, past nine, right? Because Washington clearly needs a center. But... I don't know. Like, I think, you know, five spots is moving from 14 to nine. And I, I don't think that's too crazy. I, I don't think it's likely, but I think there's a chance. There's always a chance. I just personally, I can't see him going. Like, I've got him going within the top seven, the first top se- The first seven picks I see a Kongu going off the board. I feel like, and a lot yeah. of people would disagree with me on this, I feel like you've got more chance of Wiseman sliding further down than you have a Kongu. Yeah, I mean, I think either one, if either one of them fall, that, you know, that's the type of guy that you take a swing on because Onyeka is the safer one, and I like him as a prospect. But at the same time, like, there's no denying the insane physical tools that Wiseman has, and he's a very skilled player. And while he doesn't always put it all together and show great effort, which terrifies me, um, like, the skills are undeniable. And, you know, a team like Boston that has a good culture to them, is that's the type of guy that I think you would be willing to take a swing on. Yeah, especially if they were willing to take a swing on Rob Williams when he was coming out of college with attitude issues, effort issues, fitness and like injury worries, then they'll definitely take a swing on Wiseman if he's available. There's too much upside to the guy. to If he's a, like, if say they don't trade up and Wiseman for some freak accident or freak occurrence finds himself still on the board at 14, which I find almost unfathomable unfathomable but if you can see that then you pick Wiseman because the upside of him and the scalability of some of his skill sets like that jump that mid-range jump shot looks like he can scale that out to the three-point line over time his free throw percentage is solid which again is a great indicator of a shoot shooting upside and and he can facilitate and he's only going to get better so I feel like if for some reason he does slide to 14 and that's the guy you go for I just personally can't see that happening yeah, I think there's no way. I think that both Onyeka and Wiseman, to me, like one of them goes to Charlotte, the other one goes no later than Washington. Yeah, that's the most logical, and that's where I'm at as well, which is why if they did move up, then again, it's not going to be for Wiseman, it's going to be for a Kongru, or they're looking at a guard in Halliburton or Lewis. Yeah, I'll say I also love Isaac Okoro. Like, he just... I don't know how they would feel about another wing, I guess, but I don't know. Like they seem to really value these switchable wings, you know, and if Gordon Hayward, he's not a long-term answer, I don't think. So if you got another one of these extremely switchable, good defenders, I think that could be really interesting um, for them there. And also I'll admit like a is just absolutely my draft crush. Ah, uh, Kira Luce is my draft crush, so I understand that I understand the uh, the magnetism that these draft crushes bring for us people, man. No, seriously, I don't mind a Coro, but again, I just don't feel like you want to bring in another wing into what's already a logjam at wing. If Haywood walks, then that's okay, but maybe you go and see who's available 
on a two-way, just so you can plug gaps if Langford has another bit of injury troubles. If you you kind of you kind of look that way and see who you could put on a two-way that's not going to hurt you too much in terms of cost because you still need to fill out your backup PG spot if you don't feel Wanamaker is going to take him much further and you definitely need to figure out your centre, which is why if they move up, I assume it's going to be to try and snag a big. Yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, we touched on the two. I mean, between... Onyeka and Wiseman, do you have one that you like better for Boston? For Boston, it's a Kangaroo. In terms of long-term upside and high ceiling, he's a high ceiling, low floor guy, it's Wiseman. But for Boston, I feel like a Kangaroo is the safest bet. They don't need to take on a project. They need to take on bring in somebody that can make a dramatic impact right now. I'm with you. And I also think that Wiseman's like too risky of a project, uh, like you kind of mentioned. And... Like you also mentioned, he's just going to take more to get. He's going to be higher up. I think that Charlotte is like absolutely, you know, the opposite situation of Boston where they're just starting what is a fairly long rebuild process. You know what they have like PJ Washington, Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham they're working with. And those are all the oldest guys in his third year. And none of those guys are going to be stars, you know, so they need to take a swing at a star. And I think that's why Wiseman makes so much sense for them there. But I'm with you, and I absolutely love Onyeka as well. I think that he is so agile for his size. He's 6'9", um, is what I see here. Let me check on Vassini's is what I use mostly. So he's, he says 6'8", with a 7-foot wingspan. He's just a, a phenomenal defender. Like, he's a ridiculous rim protector. I think that he's so um, he's so disciplined. He, he does jump a bit too much. So I guess that goes against what I said a bit there, but I think that he'll kind of iron that out a bit as well. And yeah, he gets off the floor extremely quick with how fast he jumps. He's able to be reactionary when people start shooting or start to go up for a layup, push off load or anything like that, and still be able to get there and swat it. Um, yeah, I love what Onyeka does on the defensive end, and I think that he's going to be a really good role man on offense too. He almost – I was listening to Vecini's pod last night of doing player comps, and player comps are always flawed, but like offensively he compared him to Montrez Harrell, and I don't think it's all too crazy. He doesn't have the handle like Montrez, but I think that when he's rolling to the basket, it's going to be a very similar sort of thing where he's powerful, but at the same time he's kind of – you know, slippery and, and avoiding guys a bit too much, but at the same time, not afraid of contact. Yeah, I mean, for me, the only thing that really stands out for me on offense for Akangu in terms of negatives is his lack of court awareness. He seems to f- always find himself in traffic and he panic Once he hits that traffic, that's where everything goes bad for him. He starts making poor decisions. Yeah. If he feels like that he's being trapped or blitzed, even if he's not, even if it's just because he's put himself in a position where a defender, one defender's digging while the other one's playing man-to-man, he makes some really bad decisions, and it happens quite a lot. So that worries me. But again, once you're in the NBA, he's not going to have as much attention on him because you're going to have guys like Jason Tatum and Brown and whoever pulling that attention away from him. And if he's just being asked to play the role man, offer a love threat, make sure he can battle for offensive boards, and then if the ball falls to him in the mid-range, try and play a little bit of pick and pop or something then that's fine he can be serviceable there while he figures out how to improve that court awareness defensively he's one of the better guys in out of the bigs in this draft again you said he is a bit black hungry one of my notes says this is robert williams but robert williams is a little bit more nuts like that was exactly (laughs) what my note says he still does he is black hungry a couple of the bigs in this draft are black hungry actually it's a common thing these athletic bouncy guys uh, but that's it really. And that's why I like him so much because my my issues with Wiseman, the, the notes I've got are a lot longer than my issues with a Kangaroo. And that's why he's the safer bet. You can learn floor awareness. He might never be a great facilitator and he might still always, you know, have moments where he's a little bit shaky and he makes a few bad decisions. But overall, what you're not really getting in offense, you're getting in defense. And that's where, that, that's where you need a big if you're Boston. You need somebody that can protect the room. Yeah, and I think one of the most important things is that while he protects the rim, he's a super switchable defender and obviously very fitting for Boston's switch-heavy system. Like, I can't help but look at Okongwu and think that this is just a very upgraded Daniel Tice. And that's a great player. Obviously, Tice was a really good fit for Boston and not saying that Okongwu would 
happen to be a perfect fit. You never know person to person. But at the same time, Daniel Tice was what a $5 million player. And while I think Okongwu is better, is he twice the player of Tice? Like he could be, but I'm not even a hundred percent that I'm confident in that. And then what you're talking like a $15 million player sort of thing. And it's just, I guess what I'm getting at is like the value of centers is so bad right now that it's hard. Like a Kongu keeps dropping on my board because I can't help but just think, okay, if you're a good team, you can also just get a super serviceable Daniel Tice, a Aaron Baines, a, you know, a Zubak for super cheap that can fill that role just fine. Yeah, and this is why one of those things for me is like you don't really want to be taking a big at 14 and you don't really want to be moving up in the draft to take a big because there's so many serviceable ones available in free agency, which is why I believe if they package to move up, it's for a guard, maybe a wing. I just don't see that happening. That's why I'm looking at backup guards more. But we're sticking on bigs. So the idea is then maybe they they decide not to go with Wiseman and Akangaroo and they start looking around at 26. But before we get to 26, there's one more guy who I am very low on, who you are rather high on, that could be a possibility at 14, and that's Precious Achua. Yeah, teammate of James Wiseman at Memphis. And yeah, Precious averaged, you know, 15.8 points. So I have 10.0, 10.8 rebounds. And I mentioned a little bit of Montrez. Oh, okay, so... He has like a handle to him. You you saw him listed as a forward, you know, and I saw a mock that even had him going to Minnesota, which is really thinking of him as a forward clearly, or maybe a backup big to cat. But I think that Precious, like the value in him to me is on the defensive end. I think that he is a, a really good rim protector. I think his defensive understanding and court awareness are really good there. And his switchability, the length that he has, he is 6'9 with a 7'2 wingspan. I think the length that he has allows him to be a pretty good defender on the perimeter. His footwork needs needs some work for sure. I think that he sits a little flat-footed sometimes. Most times he's able to recover with great athleticism that he has. Like The value for me in Precious is just what I think is a really good switchable center that can simultaneously protect the rim, which I think has a lot of value because guys, you know, there's not that many centers that can do both that well, you know? Um, And then on the offensive end, I think he was totally miscast at Memphis. And I think this is where like the swing is for him, where I think that he just kind of was asked to do a little bit too much or maybe took too much into his own hands because he was, the best player on that roster when Wiseman went out, but there's no reason that he should be, you know, a three guard or like initiate or running a pick and roll that he did a couple times this year. Like he doesn't have that level of handle. He doesn't have that level of court awareness or smoothness to him. Like some of the things you see with some of these athletes that don't have great handle, you saw with Jayla Brown a lot at first, you know, they're driving in a straight line. They're super predictable. They're going to get a bunch of charges drawn. I think you're going to see that with Precious at first, but yeah, primarily I think that he needs to be a role man. That's insanely high energy. And like, if he got it in the short roll, he could take a dribble or two and then go and finish, but he's going to need to work on, like the, the playmaking is not going to be there. I just think that he is one of the cases of it matters what team he goes to and what habits he learns. Because right now, I think that he's miscast in his role. And I think if a team can use him as an energetic rim running and switchable rim protector, five, a five, a center, that he could that he could totally fill that role great. And I think that like Boston just makes so much sense for that. You see, I feel like they don't need another 6'9 big. They need somebody a little bit taller with a little bit more muscle on the frame. One of the notes I've got here is we'll struggle to score at NBA level outside of lubs and dump-off passes. I don't think he projects as much of a scorer to more than probably six feet out from the rim. Uh, I feel like his jump yeah. shot's a little bit inconsistent. The mechanics don't look... Well, the mechanics look good, but the end product isn't there at the moment. The release point for me is too low. 
I do think that rim protection for him is habitual. Like he just he knows where he needs to be. His defensive positioning is fantastic. The way he can slide down and up really works well in that switchable um, system. And they won't need to worry about just playing drop defense if they've got pressures in there. They'll be able to play a four five man five man on five switch up pick and rolls. They'll be really good. And pressures can facilitate once the ball starts getting pushed up in transition as well. But I just feel like that lack of scoring. And that little bit being undersized, you know, some websites are classifying him as a four because he's six nine, and it's it's that lack of size and lack of scoring ability outside of six feet that really worry me. And I just feel like the Celtics don't don't need another undersized big. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm with you, and a, a bit at least. Like when you're talking fourteen, I, I totally get the argument. Same thing I was kind of talking for Okongwu, where you don't like I'd be hesitant to take him top five literally just because he's a center. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with Precious M14. I think that because all of his value is on the defensive end, and I agree with you, I think he's just a very basic role player on offense, but I think that kind of works for Boston. Um, they do need a bigger defender, you're right, to deal with the Joel Embiid's of the world. Um, and then yeah, the three point shot, like. I don't think he's going to be a threat from there or anything like that, but I think that you couldn't leave him extremely wide open. You know, like Synergy has unguarded catch and shoots, 93rd percentile. There's only uh, 15 or 18 total attempts, so not great, but he made half of them, Um, which, yeah, a little bit of progress or a little positive, you know, maybe if you want to be a little optimistic that there's something to work with there is guarded is freaking horrible, by the way. Unguarded 93rd percent, guarded the first percentile. Is freaking horrible when there's a guy guarding him. That's so because like, his release point is so low. He's basically shooting into the defender's hand, literally releasing yeah. the ball at their hand. It's it's bad, dude. I mean, if I was going to be picking a big at 14, then it's going to be Jalen Smith. Okay. Yeah, That's no, a, I, I don't hate that, actually. And Jalen Smith's been rising a lot in boards. Yeah, for one, I love the Horace Grant throwback shades that he wears when he plays. It's and true, I'll pick yeah. him just so I can cop a pair of them when they come out <laughs> style, you know. Um, outside of, you know, aesthetics, he's 6'10", 225. He's, he's a big dude, and he can stretch the floor. He can glass eat. He's a role man. He's a love threat. He can finish off dump offs. He can finish from mid-range. He can finish from outside. He's got a ridiculous leaping ability for a shot blocker. Plays the low helpline really well. He's like had some decent highlights coming off the low, off the weak side low helpline to kind of close out on guys. Yeah, okay. So he struggles a little bit when when the pressure gets put on him. Again, that's not going to happen as much in the NBA to begin with. So he's got time. I do feel like the only thing for him is he can get a little bit of a tunnel vision, and he does need to add a little bit more strength than what he's already got. But if you're looking for a the most secure pick at 14. If Jalen Smith's on the board, then you go Jalen Smith and we all start wearing those shades as of next week. Wow. Yeah. So what does it for me with Jalen Smith is like the shooting for sure. I, I think that you actually saw him like shooting off movement and things like that, which is just ridiculous. And I don't know how much I think that will translate or if that's like something he's going to do regularly at least, but that's an amazing skill to have when you're looking for guys like Jalen Brown to be able to get to the basket, Kemba to be able to get to the basket basket or any of these other wings as well. Um, so yeah, I'm with you with the shooting. I question, cause he is a bit bigger, right? But he's only got what one inch on precious. Yeah. Um, just an inch. And they're the got same a bit weight. Of weight as well. A couple of pounds in weight. I think his wingspan is kind of similar. Right. I, I don't know because Jalen Smith is skinnier, you know, it's probably about I think a uh, basketball reference has on the same weight. And I think that like roughly that's probably right. But Jalen Smith's just a little longer. So he looks thinner. Um, but yeah, I don't know if like Jalen Smith is slowing down Joel Embiid either, you know. I don't think he's slowing down Joel Embiid, but I think he's giving you enough rim protection because of that bounce that he's got that Joel Embiid's not going to go for 35 a night against the Celtics. I do think that Jalen Smith's biggest issue is his lack of lower body strength. So he's going to really struggle to deal upon guys on the the low post. So if Embiid decides to post up on him, then we're back in the same problem as what we were with Rob Williams or with Daniel Tice. 
The only difference is if you can throw a rotation of Rob Williams and Jalen Smith to long, like, you know, growing in strength guys with ridiculous bounce, then Embiid isn't going to be able to play the amount of minutes that he played against the Celtics in this playoffs. Um, this just gone playoffs because he's going to be going against two guys with insane athleticism and ridiculous motors. And they'll look to push the pace on him and they'll play him out from the back. So they'll make it really difficult for him to get in down low. I don't know. Something about Jalen Smith that just really stands out to me at the moment. I understand there's a few issues. One of the, the main it's ones. It's the pick and roll defense. Yeah, dude. But again, you say the shooting as well when he can shoot off movement. Adam Spinella noted in one of his breakdowns on YouTube that he can shoot while backpedaling. So he already projects as a ridiculous pick and pop guy. Coming off a guy like Kemba Walker or Jason Tatum, that having that pick and pop guy is really going to open driving lanes. But yeah, the defense in terms of low post defense is going to be a real big issue for him. It'll be a quick learning curve. Yeah, at very least, like we keep mentioning Joel Embiid, there's not that many other examples, you know, because the low post is obviously dying in the league. So it's not something you have to worry about too much outside of that one matchup. And that's where you just sign, you know, that's where you get this $5 million minimum Aaron Baines or I'm trying to think of other like, you know, what Tyson Chandler, or uh, he's probably a little too washed at this point, you know, but you can get just one huge guy to just be like, or, and it's cancer even, you know, go out there and just don't let him body you in the post. You know, like you can get one of those guys for your rotation of bigs. Yeah, just wear him out a little bit. Make sure he finishes the game with a few, abuse, few bruises for the next morning. And that's what you need to do. But I feel like the way the league's moving and like tra- the trajectory of bigs in terms of what they're going to be asked to do over the next four to ten years Jalen Smith fits that mold better than any of the bigs we spoke about to this point outside of Wiseman, but Jalen Smith's got a, a higher floor than what Wiseman does. Yeah, I, I do worry about the um, the pick and roll defense, though. Like, I think that, you know, it's somewhat comparable to, like, Miles Turner coming out of college, and then Turner had a really big jump with his hip flexibility, which is a little bit of an outlier so I worry that Jalen Smith is not going to do, be able to do anything but drop. And even then against some of the quicker guys, he could struggle. Yeah. The thing that kind of makes up for that for me is his acceleration and his leaping ability. So for me, he'll be able to kind of play a little, I wouldn't want to put him in the show. I wouldn't feel comfortable playing him as in show defense, but playing him in like a normal pick and roll coverage where you switch or you ice, I'd feel quite comfortable having him, chase down block guys and make sure put pressure on him in the rear view because he's got that that wingspan the leaping ability and the acceleration to deter shots even when he's not in front of them and that would be the only way around that if again as you say he doesn't have this insane jump in flexibility yeah i i think our difference between precious and jalen is just simply like you valuing offense more than maybe not more than defense but i am preferring the more defensive guy and you're preferring the more offensive guy. Yeah, just because I feel like Jalen Smith, a lot of Jalen Smith's flaws can be worked on a lot easier than a Kongu figuring out how to like literally rebuilding his shot. There's already enough Celtics rebuilding their shot right now. You don't want to take another guy and ask him to do the same thing. Right. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, And I think that Jalen Smith is in a weird spot when you're talking Boston's picks because with how much he's been rising, it seems like he's not going to make it to 26, even though at the beginning or end of the bubble, it seemed like he could totally even be there at 30. But now he seems between this 14 and 26, where it seems like a reach at 14, but then he's probably not going to slide to 26. But, you know, if you're talking about like wanting more bites at the apple, you know, could you trade 26 and 30 to Utah? you know, and move up three spots if you're like, okay, Jalen Smith's there, but I don't think he's going to make it past, say, OKC or something like that, you know? Yeah, like, I, I do that then. If you've picked somebody, say you go and get yourself Kira Lewis at 14 and then Jalen Smith's still there at 23 and you tire like, hey, we'll take 26 and 30 for 23, then you do that and you try and get – you try and – fub them off with Vincent Poirier at the same time, just to be like, yo, you're getting two picks and Vincent Poirier give us, you know, just to try and shed right. a big man's salary, wishful thinking at that point. 
Yeah, 2019, last year, you know, Philly was known to be in love with Matisse Thibel. So maybe this is a bit of the reason why that happened. But Philadelphia traded 24 and 33 to Boston to move up four spots to pick 20. So I think, you know, 26 and 30, I think that that reasonably could move you up four-ish spots. Like I, I think 22, Denver could be interesting. I think, you know, maybe even 20 with Miami could be interesting there. I like that, especially especially if you pick Kira Lewis. I'm going to keep harping on it just because I'm putting it into the universe. I'm with you. Get Kira Lewis at 14 and then figure a way to get Jalen Smith. And to me, that's the perfect draft night. You can call it a win and you can expect Boston to be amazingly good fun next year. Be it's hilarious game. because I think there's like 10 teams in the league that could say that would be their perfect draft night. Kira Lewis and, uh, and Jalen Smith. Yeah. yeah, because those two yeah. guys coming off the bench would be so good, dude. You, if you're a Boston and you've just spent a year watching your bench unit stagnate on almost a nightly basis, and then you bring in a guy that's literally got jetpacks on his feet and another guy that's leaping abilities out the roof and he can stretch the floor with a three-point shot, that bench unit all of a sudden looks great when you add in Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, and Rob Williams on that rotation. I, I will say I'm a little surprised, like how high you are on the on the leaping of um, of Jalen Smith. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've only watched limited video on him, but from what I've seen, he can he can bang, dude. He can jam, and yeah, I, I just like that. I like the way that's one of Rob Williams' biggest attributes for me is his leaping ability. If I want you guys to be pulling shots out the sky and to be dunking so hard that everybody gets fired up because of it. That's part of your role coming off the bench. Right. The role man and the pop man being able to play both of those. And, and that's where precious, you know, probably is just a role man and Jalen Smith plays both. But if neither of them happen and Boston pick a dud at 14, because if it's not Kira Lewis, I'm not going to be happy at all. So they're a dud. <laughs> So then we move down to 26. We start looking at a couple of other guys that are still serviceable, but I'm just not as excited about them. Yeah, which one do you want to move to next? I mean, I kind of like Daniel Oturu. Okay. Yeah, Oturu is like kind of the same as Jalen Smith, minus that bit of athleticism you're talking about, but this is like a three and D center is the idea, right? I mean, in his second year at Minnesota, he shot... 36% from three it's only on 52 total attempts but not terrible and 70% from the free throw lines a little bit of a positive indicator and then yeah but to you know 20 points and 11 boards a night's no joke even it's not a great conference but yeah I mean that's no joke in 2.5 blocks it's a it's a three and D center do you know what it is for me? It's his defense. It's so fundamentally sound in the way he positions his body. Like it's like watching him. It's like do you know that scene in Coach Carter where um I think it's Worm he's coaching at the time, and he's like goes over to him and he makes he, he sorts out his defensive posture. Do you know that? Do you know the scene I'm on about? Yeah, that posture is exactly what you're gonna see from Oturu on pretty much every defensive possession. It is fundamentally perfect. He keeps his hips nice and square towards his man, gets his hands up nice and high, makes sure his chest is facing his guys so he can absorb contact directly into his chest. I really like Aturu. I do feel like he is a poor man, Jalen Smith. Yeah. I don't want to throw no shade at anybody. I just feel like, you know, same similar size, similar shot profiles. I just feel it's like... Just a little worse at everything. Yeah, and I feel like there's just a little less room for improvement at everything as well. But if you miss Jalen Smith and you want the next best thing, then you go Daniel Aturu at 26. Right. And if you're just putting this guy in a role where it's a 3 and D player, it's not bad. You know, again, I don't think Oturu is doing the movement shooting that I think that Jalen Smith has the potential to do. And I just don't think he's as versatile of a shooter. But yeah, I mean, he's defending the rim well, like you said. And yeah, he has a 7-2 wingspan to him as well. He's 6'10" about the same size that you're working with here. Super comparable. I, I think that you're spot on in saying Oturu is pretty much just a B-grade Jalen Smith. And I think that's a pretty good value when you're talking 26-30. Now, if we want to go for somebody that's going to be able to stand and bang with Joel Embiid and leave some bruises on Giannis and really make people think twice about coming into the post, then you go Isaiah Stewart. 
Yeah, man, that I don't a, like Isaiah Stewart. Neither do I, but that dude is a human wrecking ball, dude. Like, he's so strong. I feel like, like big words on my notes for Isaiah Stewart. Throwback style post moves, throwback style center. Not sure how long he'll have in the league due to the fact that he plays like he's in the 90s. Ridiculous strength, ambidextrous finisher. That is literally everything. I've, I've got more, but those things are the ones I've highlighted as the most important. He's strong, dude, and he will bang, but I just feel like he's going to have a really short NBA career unless he can figure out how to score from outside. Right. Yeah, That that's definitely the issue when you're talking Isaiah Stewart. And yeah, I mean, a lot of post-ups, I agree with you. He's super strong, and he's probably the guy that would stand the best chance defending Joel Embiid outside of a Kongwu Wiseman. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, 250 pounds with what he's working with. And yeah, like you said, he's a really good finisher. But at the same time, I mean, 48% of his possessions were post-ups. And he's not good enough that he's posting up in the NBA. Like, there's so few players that are doing that. Marcus Gasol, Brooke Lopez don't post up in the NBA anymore, you know? And Isaiah Stewart's not that level of post-up player or anything like that. He had the sixth most post-ups in all of college basketball. And every player above him is not playing on a good team. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just his issue is that his game's a little outdated, like you said. Yeah, I mean, if he was drafted in, like, 1992, then he would have been probably, Water, yeah. One, yeah, like, top three pick. You know, strong, back-to-the-basket type guy, can finish with both hands, got great footwork on the post. He would have been a 1990s team's dream coming out of college. Fast forward to 2020, he's lucky he's even in draft conversations, dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is potential for, you know, the same sort of rim running. And he's he's got great energy to him, and he has really good athleticism as well. So there's potential to this rim running, a guy that only played one year in college. Um, Let me get his exact age here. Uh, yeah, 18 years old at the time of the draft, maybe 19. But yeah, I mean, the tools he's working with, 6'9", with a 7'4 wingspan, and the weight that he's working with is is ridiculous. So there is still like a rim running and rim protector five to work with here, but he could totally just become one of those mid-level guys that just moves teams all the time, right? Yeah, I feel like he'll just end up being like a, an MLE guy for like most of his career, or he'll be a two-way guy for a lot of it. I just don't feel like there's enough upside for him. There's other guys around him. There's other bigs coming into this draft that can be picked around where he's going to be picked that are far more serviceable and that are going to become far better players than what he is. Yeah, I always come back to Nerlens Noel for some reason because I feel like he's a really good finisher, when other people are able to create for him, mainly rolling to the rim and he's a really good rim protector. And it's like, am I really sure that Isaiah Stewart's going to actually be better than Nerlens Noel, who is practically a minimum guy? I'm not even sure he'll be half as good as what Nerlens Noel is. I, I feel like a lot of Isaiah Stewart's upside comes from that strength and he's only going to get stronger as he grows into that frame. But we're in a league now where you can't be manhandling guys the way you could in the night. Look, this is why I feel like he's a throwback guy that just doesn't fit in the modern NBA. And whoever drafts him will kind of try and redesign his skill set a little bit to allow him to be more of a role man and more of a, a transition threat, a love threat with some vertical spacing. I just don't know how much that sticks for him. He'll definitely be a minimum guy if he stays in the league past his rookie deal. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, it's not a guy I'm the most interested interested in the king in sorry the Celtics taking, um, but at the same time, like I don't know if I'd hate it at thirty. Like there's there's worse I mean, I'd guys. Rather Xavier Tillman, Zeke, whose last name I can't pronounce. Najee, yeah. Najee. I like Paul Reed. I like Killian Tilly. I don't wow. like. Like there's okay. a few. When I say I like them, I mean I like all of these guys over Isaiah Stewart. Yeah. Like, there's a I can, literally, I just named four dudes I'd rather pick at 30 instead of Isaiah Stewart. Yeah. I think I'm with you on Zeke and, and Tillman, but 
yeah, I mean, probably at a later episode, we'll get to like a Paul Reed and I forget the other one you named. Um, oh, um, Killian Tilly, you know, injury history, but I, I, I get you. Um, and it's totally reasonable. And yeah, I mean, just with how replaceable centers are, I don't know, especially when you're a good team, you know, like I think that above average centers are not going to get paid much money, but they're going to, because of that, there's going to be spots for them on good teams. And they're going to look at Boston and be like, wow, I can actually be in a decent sized role here on a really good team. And Boston doesn't have to pay him that much. So, yeah, I mean, it's when you're getting to 26, 30, unless you end up keeping all of these, which I just don't see as very likely, I kind of like going for a swing on one of these wings or something like that. Yeah, I mean, when I look at bigs these days, the number one thing I look at is motor. I want to see a guy that can run up and down the floor relentlessly become and not get tired or at least not show that he's tired because in the league that we've got now that is going to be a predominant role for a big you sprint up the floor and either seal your man to kind of create a passing lane you spread the floor with some vertical spacing or you set some bone crunching picks and then you sprint back down the other end to protect the rim all i care about is decent size decent weight some positional awareness but above all i want motor and at 30 you're going to get someone that pretty much only has motor and that could actually be enough off the bench at some point. I think that actually kind of describes Isaiah Stewart. Like I think Stewart has a great motor to him with some good physical tools as well. He does. I just don't think his leaping ability is enough to offer that vertical spacing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like I look yeah. at like it's motor and leaping ability. And then anyone who's quick enough can set solid screens. You want him to set some down screens, some back screens. You want him to run a little bit of, you know, I mean, there's enough options available. Yeah. You want him playing elevator sets, whatever you need, as long as he's got a good motor and he can get up the floor quick enough, he's going to be serviceable. What if, and this is obviously, I mean, you could probably throw this on any prospect, but if Stewart was able to become a average, slightly below average three-point shooter on low volume, does that change things for you? A little bit, yeah, but because he shot he, six I mean, free throws a game at seventy-seven percent, I feel like Xavier Tillman can do everything that Stewart can do, just a little bit less strength. Right, but I agree with you. But the idea is like you know, Stewart spent one year in college and probably has more progress possible to him, and Tillman spent four years and is probably just going to be the player he is now for most of his career. But yeah. for Boston, you might want that, right? A guy yeah, I mean, ready, they right did away. that with Grant Williams, and everybody's happy with Grant Williams. And Grant Williams has improved from what he was when he came in. He was a four-year guy that everybody assumed what you're getting out of the draft is what you're getting. And he's already shown development from the three-point line. And that's the other thing as well, right? You don't need someone like Isaiah Stewart when you've got Grant Williams. Yeah, I, I think they're a little different, but yeah, I don't think we're too far off. I, I, I'm with you that I prefer Tillman over Stewart, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, you you just do know what you're getting. I'm sorry, I said Tillman spent four years at college. He spent three, but, you know, the shooting projection, I think you feel a little better about. He shot 26% from three in his junior year on 50 total attempts, which isn't great. Um, 66% from the free throw line on four attempts a game. Not amazing there either, but I mean, a lot of what you're bringing him in for obviously is just extremely sound defense. I think that he's going to be in the right spot most of the time. He's a phenomenal rebounder, pulled down just over 10 of them a game. And yeah, 2.1 blocks that you were working with there as well. And while he's a really good rim protector, like I said, I think he's going to be good in the pick and roll, especially in the drop. What does it for me on the offensive end, and I think Al Horford gave me a weak spot for this, Tillman's a really good passer. And I think that's really important for big men right now, especially if you can't space the floor effective or um, consistently. Yeah, we've seen it with Jokic, how much having a big man be able to at least facilitate. So With Jokic, it's a different story. He's elite, so he facilitates all the offense. But once Even Robert I, Williams a little bit. Yeah, this is, what this is what I was leading on to. Having a big man that can facilitate a small portion of your offense – 
is ridiculously valuable in this league now, especially when the short role is so highly valued compared to a normal deep pick and roll. Teams like a guy that can come off the short roll and then facilitate to the wings and then relocate and set a screen so you've got a pin down operating. Tillman, to me, just seems like such more such a more modern-day big that can stretch, sorry, I stumbled, stretch the floor. He can set screens. He can facilitate. He's got a decent motor on him himself. He just, he uses class at 30. That's the thing. At 30, you're not going to get much more of a better option than Tillman. I don't think so. And I think that, you know, you talked about the short roll. I think he's probably the best big that we've talked about. If you're talking about short roll offense and when the ball gets in his hands and decision-making from there, I think that it's pretty safe to say that he's probably the best big there. And yeah, I mean, the idea, you know, you would hope that he could eventually space out to the three point line. And I think I hold out maybe a little bit too much hope that guys can do that. Since I think that when you get to the NBA, that'll just be harped on you a bunch, but yeah, I mean, he was a really good finisher in college. This most latest season, he shot 60% from two, which is, which is great that he's working with there. So he's a great role man as well. So yeah, I, I mean, I think that, Tillman as as the number 30 guy would work really well for Boston. I think Max Carlin's been trying to speak this into existence for forever. And yeah, I think yeah. he has. I was on a I was on a mock draft with him for another podcast that I do uh, a few weeks back. And uh he was like, if you're drafting at 30 and you need a big you take Tillman. And right. on my personal big board of bigs for Boston, Tillman is second. Wow. The only wow. Big, and that's my personal big board of just centers that would fit what Boston needs, not overall centers in the draft. And Jalen Smith is first, Tillman is second, Akongru is third. And Whoa. the reason Akongru is third is because I feel like I don't want to use the 14th pick on Akongru. Yeah, I'm willing to do it for okay. Jalen Smith, so maybe I'm a little bit biased here and I've got some, some Jalen Smith tinted glasses on because he wears glasses. Do you see what I did there? Yeah. But again... It's yeah, I've got that's my big board of bigs for the Celtics. Who are you? Who are your top three on your big, your Celtics big board of bigs? Well, I think that Okongwu and Wiseman are there, but Wiseman isn't a guy that I would trade up for unless he fell. And Okongwu, I think that you know, falling for him is like I don't know, his range is so wide. Like, I think that if it only takes you to trade up to number nine, that I'm all for trading for Okongwu. I think he is probably like the best defensive center in this class. And I I don't like Tice couldn't really shoot, you know, a bit, but not really. And I think that a Kongwu maybe could develop that a little bit. He's a really young guy that you're working with as well. Like I I think the defensive Okongwu has is weighing in a bunch here for me and I'll put him first. I won't consider Wiseman because I'm with you. I don't think that they should probably trade up for him with what it's going to cost. Probably a top three pick. Um, and clearly I value defense a lot. I think that I just always have really liked defensive players. And I think I've just always had that preference. So that's why I also put precious three. Um, and we kind of chalked through our precious Jalen thing, but, or I'm sorry, precious two. And then I have Jalen three, but they're in their own tier with a Kong Wu at the top of, um, the first one for me. And then after that, from the guys that we talked about, which was, what was it? Isaiah Stewart and Xavier Tillman. Was there another one? I think that's it um, that we've touched on so far. And yeah, I, I would prefer Tillman pretty comfortably over Isaiah Stewart. So if we're not including Wiseman, because I don't think we should trade up for him, I go with Okongwu, Precious Achua, Jalen Smith, Xavier Tillman, and then Isaiah Stewart. So if I am including Wiseman, Wiseman takes number one spot because of his size and his high upside. Yeah, I do value defense, but I feel like the, the way the Celtics play, it's very much focused on the team movement in defense, which is why I'm not picking somebody like Precious that projects as only a defensive big. And that's why I feel like Precious on Boston doesn't work because they'll need some offensive output from him that I just don't feel like he could offer. I can't grow, I feel like he can offer that. But for some reason, Summit's telling me that Jalen Smith would fit better on the Celtics. I still think Okongru is the better player, and I still think Okongru will have the better career. But as a second, like as a big man off the bench, assuming that they give Rob Williams the starting spot, 
either this season, next season or the season after, as long as he can prove he isn't going to be on the injury table all the time, then I feel like Jalen Smith is a really good option coming off the bench for the Celtics. Yeah, I think I just don't have the same level of confidence in Rob Williams as you do. Like, I think that, you know, the guys you're considering or that I'm considering here, I would think that, like, could could end up as that starting spot. Yeah, and a Congru most definitely could. I just don't. I just feel like you've got a chance of Jalen Smith falling into the 20s where you could start making a deal to get him. You don't have to spend the 14th pick on him. And there's just something about yeah. using a lottery pick on a big that seems so like old school to me and outdated that I really can't bring myself to put him there. But he does make a ton of sense. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Was there any other ones that you wanted to touch on here? Or we're getting a little too into the weeds at that point. Well, I think we're getting too in the weeds. I mean, we need to talk real quick about Brendan's puppy. Oh, do we? Yeah, my little, uh, you know, one other prospect I want to throw out real quick. I'm going to throw out Zeke Naji, who, like you, you mentioned very briefly, I think that he could almost be like this precious type of guy, but at, available at 30 or 26, where I just think he's a really switchable defender that's a really good athlete and, you know, maybe has some potential as a shooter as well. Like, I think Najee, I'd be super interested at 30. But, you know, we'll, we'll probably get into him at some point in the later future. Yes, I did just get an 11-week-old Australian cattle dog. Um, I think they're called, like, a Queensland healer. There's so many names, apparently, for this type of dog. I've Australian cattle dog until you text me at, like, 2 a.m. this morning, England time. I, I, there's, like... I think she was listed as an, a Queensland healer or a, there's like a blue healer. There's a red healer. They're all, and they're all the same thing pretty much. Um, I hope I'm not wrong, but yeah, no, she's, she's adorable. She definitely has me tired for this recording, waking up and I'm in an apartment. So having to get her Wait outside. Until you're a parent, dude. Wait until you're a parent. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's going to be a little while, so this is the closest thing I got right now. I'm just doing it because I know that's one of the most annoying things a parent can say to someone that's not <laughs> saying they're tired. I'm doing it to be a, a douche. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, but I'm in, love with, I'm in love with this little thing, even though she can be a little pain. I'm very happy to have her for sure. And uh, yeah, you'll hear me tired on these episodes. Tired with you. I'm, I mean, my daughter's nearly 10. I'm not tired anymore. I'm not <laughs> Until the next one comes along. You're just tired from grinding away. Yeah, all the time, dude. What time was it the other day when you hit me off? It was like 3.30 a.m. Yeah, it's ridiculous for me. Yeah, yeah, just waking up, getting this newsletter in. Yeah, I mean, you have to do these things, man. You have to fit it in where, you know. The The clover disclosure. When people, when everyone else is asleep is when the most gains can be made, dude. Agreed. Yeah, this one's getting me on an earlier sleep schedule, too, because this little puppy's up at 5.30 every morning. And yeah, I gotta stay up and stay awake from that point too, which is fine. I just go to bed a little earlier. You just need to explain a little to bit you. of a different sleep you schedule. To explain to you, girl, but Sundays is gonna be like a four a.m. recording for you. Seriously? Yeah, like she ain't gonna be happy about that. Yeah, nah. Right, guys, we're uh, we'll continue our conversation off air at this point. You can catch us again on Monday. Will Brendan be here? We don't know because Brendan works on a Sunday when we record. But I'm going to try and get him up at 4 a.m. to record before he goes to work. I think we're going to make it work. (laughs) Right, guys, catch us again on Monday. Peace out.